Right, tell me the great conversations. Hi, everyone. I've just had really great conversations with really great coaches. Some EIQ, some um, actually not even in fitness. Some people that I'm mentoring are in like the ADHD world and doing some course development around ADHD. Um, some coaches, just really great coaches and just really, you know, when you just feel very like you've had really great conversations that have really inspired you in some way. And it's it's a nice for me, obviously, as you know, right now, I very much love my work and the the way that it, it's lifting me up, which is, I'm so I'm really grateful. So I've had a really nice morning of how nice to do like whatever many hours back to back and just be like, I feel invigorated rather than drained. How lucky is that? That is amazing. A dream. It is. How are you? I'm good. I actually just had a conversation with someone uh, about like staying in academia or not. So I kind of felt the same. I was like best thing I ever did like yeah and I can see how like I mean there's so it's the security isn't it and it's like you get sucked into that world and like how many publications you've got and you've built all this and blah blah, blah but yeah you can't beat the freedom of doing yeah. it you know what I I mean I agree when I did some like um guest lecturing in the end when I kind of quit and then I went back to teach like a module and then I went back to teach like little bits I loved doing that because I loved being able to I, I think teaching is incredible and I think I think obviously uni's offered such a unique experience but also it's also nice to not have to be bogged down and academia is slow like that if you work in academia, it's like oh I just want to make this one tweak to the I don't know like the ethical approval and they're like yeah cool that'll take three months you're lucky but also we can't tell you it will take three months it might take six or it might be back in two months you never know and then you find out you've been waiting for six months and it's just been lost in someone's email and they're like oh I didn't even see this <laughs> yeah that's fine and you're like <laughs> <laughs> honestly the amount of money that's lost in that as well like all this funding I remember working as a research assistant and like I mean, they obviously still had to pay me, but like so many studies were just like put on pause for some reason. But it's like, cool, I don't have anything to do. You just have to pay all these staff. Yeah. It's happening. And you're like, it's just, yeah. It's wild. And then you see a publication and you find a publication on PubMed 2023. Do you know when that was done? Probably 2018. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's very slow. It does give you like yeah and so like we think it's slow if something takes us a couple of weeks to get something done and it's like no yeah anyway um okay do you have anything to say before we crack on the questions um no okay do you i don't think so i'm trying to think what i've done this week or read this week but to be honest i've only read my own depths of despair in my journal <laughs> what, you don't want to share that on the eiq live funnily enough it's not for me um one are those days of ranting on social media um okay let's get cracking then Sinead's question this is a long one so you ready pay your most attention I really appreciate your input and guidance on this one. I have a client. We've been working together for the last four to five weeks. She has previously mentioned she's addicted to sugar, but never really said anything more. I've been working on building a good relationship with her to figure out what's the biggest struggle. 
She's just openly informed me that she tends to overeat at home when she's alone or when she's in the staff room and work to avoid talking to people. The food she consumes during this time is usually high sugar snacks. How would you go about giving helpful advice for her? The staff room isn't really a place that she can just walk out of. A positive she has said is that slowing down her eating has helped her a lot. I have previously mentioned to her about checking in with herself when she feels like this and incorporating the box breathing and trying to give herself 30 minutes if she still wants to, to and then honour it. But the eating to avoid talking has really hit me. Do you have any help? That is an interesting one. Also, oh, yeah. I could possibly speak to this annoying colleague. I'm busy eating. And then you actually would think slow down the eating so that you can prolong the... They might be waiting for you to finish and you're like well sorry I'm still eating this one apple this is the thing too right what why does a question to ask is like why do you have to have something that's high in sugar to stop you from eating like that in itself should break some of the rules in our head of like well it's a sugar thing it's not a sugar thing it's a distraction thing um I mean it's not your job to help her feel more confident socially at all it's but outside of your scope but it, it, but you could say like if it's a social thing, like if if you feel maybe that you're shy or something like that, are the people that you trust that you can speak to, or have you thought about therapy or whatever the the case may be, that's really kind of beyond your scope as a personal trainer and as a coach to deal with that. If you if you're a grad this month's mini lecture series was on food addiction, so definitely watch that. If you're not a grad, I did a simplified layman's much shorter version of it on the ETPHD team podcast that you can, will give you a bit of an introduction into it until you can watch the actual graduates one, which is much more like in depth for you as a coach, obviously. Um, so I would definitely look at those because I think with the food addiction side of things, it's a really interesting area actually, because it's like some, the, the consensus is it's not for scientific research to say you're addicted to food or not. They, they, and the, the, it seems like the narrative is quite clear on that. Like they're not trying to say if you feel like you're addicted to sugar, 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 sugar and food, then you feel like you're addicted to it, right? Um, and the and the reality is, some people might feel empowered by saying that because they feel like, okay, well, I can I can manage it, and some people will feel like they're a victim of that and feel like they can't manage it. So it's not for us to say, but I do think sometimes unpacking the reality of food addiction in terms of an educational level can be quite helpful. Yeah, I think most people use it as a bit of a reason to say where they are, as opposed to like an empowering, oh, I've got this addiction that I want to overcome. It's more often like, I'm addicted, so I'm not going to do about it. Yeah, I think the, I think the problem with the, one of it is, is that they were saying, one article that I read specifically was saying how it gives people like a name for what they feel that intense loss of control that shame that guilt and it removes some of that but then the problem with that is it's like yeah but that's binge eating and the problem with food addiction is that there's this huge crossover between food addiction ratings measurements etc and binge eating and actually is it food addiction or is someone struggling with binge eating and that and then and then does it really matter etc um and you hear some of the arguments of like it's not addiction because your body's not like having withdrawal symptoms on like a physiological level or something but then like you say like you can kind of be addicted to anything if you feel like a compulsion to do it and you struggle not to it like it depends what your definition of addiction is yeah and that's what a lot of the research is it's like it's kind of semantic so the gsm5 don't class as an addiction but they've only got the only behavioral addiction they class as 
it's gambling and only that's recent but before that it was all substance stuff so drugs etc and they why gambling now i don't know i think because obviously like gambling meets the criteria of it but it just didn't meet the substance criteria and they realized well it meets the other criteria so it's Mm. technically an addiction it's really really interesting and when you look at the research actually so much of it is just animal research and how can you compare the addiction of to food of a rat in a scarcity environment in a cage to the addiction of a human in the opposite of a scarcity environment unless of course you you don't have the privilege of accessibility to food etc um but how can you compare that scarcity environment to that abundance environment and say that the same physiological things happen like you, you can't really unless you create the rat what did they make like rat playground or something what was that again it was it was like a study I think it was, it's one of the most quoted studies but I think it's probably not really been or like it's probably quite easy to refute but anyway it was like I think it was addiction to some kind of drug and if they were just in a cage with the drug they'd become addicted to it but if they were in the cage with like fun stuff to do then they wouldn't become addicted to it um, thing well interesting I'd like to see that cage just because it would be fun but yeah. I think I think they called it like a uh, rat oh, what, like rat circus or like rat theme park or something I was like imagine that was your research assistant job I wasn't so creeped out by rats I think that'd be quite cool oh my god I got- I that yesterday and do you know what quite cute no, they're not, mate. They're actually not. Even when I was putting a picture of a rat on the EIQ lecture, it was making me gag. It's disgusting. Disgusting. I know we're all God's creatures. I wouldn't kill them, but I wouldn't want one. Um, baby one, because it was quite cute. Nah. I got offered a job working on rats. They asked me in an interview, how do you feel about it? Obviously, I lied, got the job, didn't take it. <laughs> how do you feel about euthanizing rats? Oh, well, yeah, fine. Do you know what? Love it. Ugh. I remember. Um, like, I probably shouldn't say this as well, but like I remember um, there was this big like investigation where I was working because someone had burnt the rats with um, Veet, like left the, you know, like um, hair. Ew. Yeah, because it's easier than shaving them that you just put Veet on them, but they left it on too long and it like burnt all the rat skin. And then like there was this big investigation about it and all that. that again, su- such a waste of money. Everything, all, the whole lab got shut down. For like or like paused for however long you're like wow cheesy peeps I mean yeah. that's pretty awful yeah like, euthanize them once you've had fun in the rat playground um so in terms of answering your actual specific question I think some of this stuff is almost just about overcoming beliefs and and um reaffirming what you've said what she said to you so you're te- so what I'm hearing is you feel uncomfortable socializing, so you have to eat sugar. Is that right? Well, no. Yeah, but I'm not sure why. Okay, well, then what if you had something else? Would that be helpful? And just, it's about questioning. Like a lot of this work is about questioning. Someone that, a coach that I'm working with at the moment, she was saying, your coaching is so different because it's just loads of questions back at me. And the more you get into this type of relationship with food stuff, a lot of it is just that of like, all you're doing is helping her to see why she's doing it. Like, it's just not for you to say, like, she's wrong or she shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z. It's like, but interesting that whenever you feel uncomfortable, you eat, like, you feel like you're drawn to sugar. There's no physiological reason for that, but it's totally okay that you are. Why do you think that is? And just 
throw questions back and say like I don't need a specific answer right now just something to mull over or to journal on and let me know kind of what comes up next week and often that is enough to get people to start to work through oh actually there's no real reason for that and actually there maybe is an alternative and and just working it through that way which I know is not specific advice but a lot of this stuff isn't yeah should have seen my um stash that I just had earlier I've got had a was pouring my chamomile tea and behind it was a bottle of ashwagandha a bottle of b12 complex and a bottle of cami's magnesium gummies the gummies how have i found how did i find them no but like are they calming do you find they're calming well i don't know because basically i'm just pouring anything into my body that i feel like might relax me so maybe could be the the gummies could be it could be i'm doubling the dose too which is always a great idea when you double the dose of what's recommended on the box well you know i've been really itchy i doubled the dose of um antihistamine and then for some reason like i think i kind of forgot how you're meant to take them which is one a day and i thought it was like paracetamol which is like so then i got home i took another one (laughs) that was the day i had like a four-hour nap oh my gosh that's what i was I couldn't understand. I was like sitting like in a coffee shop and you know, when you're like in a car sometimes and you just like your head nods forward and then you're like, oh, not driving, <laughs> like sitting in a car. Um, oh. That happened while I was actually writing. And I was like, wow, I'm so tired. And then I got him just like honked out. So highly recommend not doing that. Yeah, don't take um, medication advice from us. No, definitely not. Okay. Hazel's question. Hello, you fabulous women. Hello. I have a potential, I have a potential new client who has been put in, who has been in touch, and I just would appreciate your input. She's post-cancer and her thyroid has been affected, so she can no longer use HRT and has had to have her estrogen inhibited so she doesn't have hormones to help her. Just wondering if there's anything specific I should know which could help her with a little weight loss outside of the ordinary. Other than this issue, she seems awesome, has kept as active as she can and has a decent relationship with food. She just doesn't love her body like she used to and I want to help her. Yeah, I think it's really hard when your body's been through a lot and a lot of people post-cancer like are really angry at their bodies in some ways. Um, So that can be certainly hard. I think it would be interesting to know or it would be useful for you to know what treatments she's had because there are long-lasting side effects of certain treatments. Um, and even things that you might want to consider re-exercise as well depending on the type of cancer that she's had they didn't say it was thyroid cancer but it's affected her thyroid right yeah yeah um yeah because depending if if she's had surgery if she's had lymph lymph nodes removed um you might want to be careful with certain exercises certainly not things like static holds or like very heavy isometric type exercises you'd want to avoid There's also, and I always give this as like an option to clients. I'm like, look, they recommend that you wear compression sleeves if you've had lymph nodes removed. There's actually no real evidence for or against them. Like there doesn't seem to be the, I think the idea was that it would reduce uh, the risk of lymphedema, Um, but there actually doesn't seem to be any strong evidence to support that. So I'm always like, this is the like, you know the suggestion you do with it what you will um and most people don't wear them but I would always put it out there as well um and then other things re 
not being able to take, to take HRT, like you also wouldn't want to take anything that kind of mimics HRT either because of the reasons that she's not taking HRT. So there's nothing specific in that instance. Actually, it might even be specific the other way of potentially getting her to avoid things that are gonna have a lot of phytoestrogens in or like anything that kind of mimics estrogen in the body, um, which I assume that her doctor will have already told her. And it, yeah, probably just a lot of support. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I also, I'm just gonna turn my air conditioning off so it doesn't start drowning out the sound. Um, I would say, obviously you're excellent at that. So I'm not gonna, I don't have a huge amount to add other than like the basic stuff, Mediterranean style diet, high in polyphenols, high in antioxidants, high in fiber, high in omega-3. Omega-3 is a funny one if someone's going through chemotherapy I'm not sure the ins and outs of this but I am aware that it's not like a blanket eat as much oily fish as you can if you're if you're going through cancer treatment but if you're in recovery and consuming omega-3 as part of your diet is fine um so Mediterranean style diet is helpful or potentially kind of could be helpful making sure that she's obviously getting enough protein because estrogen is important for things like um protein metabolism and recovery from training and things like that so just being mindful of making sure that she is getting enough protein and regularly having protein through the day just like you normally would and then on top of that there's the body image aspect of chronic pain and chronic illness and I spoke about this at level up and again I've got a shortened not like kind of more layman's version of it on my on the ATPHD podcast that you can listen to um because we didn't record the ones at level up we do have the audio anyway regardless um but body image with chronic pain and recovery from things like breast cancer can be tough. There was a, a piece of research that came out earlier this year that looked at specifically breast cancer patients and that kind of like you touched on Emma, the anger towards your body. But then there's also things like we talk a lot about body checking, right? And how that can impact potentially negatively impact your body image. But if you've got the fear or the pain around like you noticing feel like you're constantly checking your boobs or any pain you start to pathologize that pain because you're in fear then that body checking can become even more unhelpful so this might not be something that you would broach right away but if if she did like talk about this struggle with her body like it does sound like she is just being mindful of like do you find like maybe that your body checking a lot like how do you feel about it body functionality can be really effective but really really hard especially if you're focusing on well I can't lift as much in the gym anymore well you know she failed me because of that so it's like okay can we try and reframe this without patronizing someone but saying okay well what other things has she allowed to do like your immune function is you know you've, you've fought this off and thinking about you know other things that you're able to do is really really important um body scans can be really helpful for any sort of pain so if she's maybe suffering still with any sort of lingering pains from that even if it's psychosomatic so even if it's that more uh, heightened awareness body scans potentially something that she could incorporate which only take you know 10 minutes to do um and may help her body image so that's the type of stuff that I would recommend yeah another thing to note is that the most common side effect of cancer treatment is cancer related fatigue so when you're programming again like just make sure that it's way better to kind of start with less than what you think she might be able to do and then build that up then completely wipe her out and and also from the other side of a client perspective whether it's returning from injury or cancer treatment or whatever often people are like I want to get back in and I used to be able to do that and I used to train five days a week so I just go straight back into that 
and it's like managing that so you don't take one step forward and then three steps back um and then I think that there's a really like empowering um effect of like knowing what you can do because obviously so much of cancer is completely uncontrollable you know like and it's shit and it's horrible and there's nothing that well you feel like there's nothing you can do there's really good research around recurrence rates and lifestyle modifications like diet and exercise not only are you less likely to get cancer again but you're also more likely to survive if you have I mean it's that side's kind of obvious it's like if you're fit and healthy and you can withstand treatment better then you're more likely to respond to treatment better so that's quite an empowering thing of uh, I remember like when I worked with a lot of cancer patients or cancer survivors that feeling like they had control over an aspect was like huge for them even during treatment it's like well I'm just kind of waiting to see if this works versus that this is something you can do that might help even if it's same with like you know Mediterranean diet like it might help a little bit and that's quite an empowering thing of like I'll do everything I can just to make sure I'm ticking all the boxes and that 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 gives me a bit of ownership especially when you feel like you don't have control over a lot of things so reminding her of that research or looking that research up yourself so that you can share that with her the other thing is there's some a cool bit of research that related self-esteem to self-esteem to feelings of body connection in people cancer patients and those that had higher self-esteem tended to rate more highly on the self-connection side of things so it makes sense sometimes with chronic pain or chronic illness that we we can become disconnected from our bodies maybe because we fear them or because we become like this pincushion or whatever it can lead to disconnection things like yoga mindfulness time in nature connection with your partner these types of things can be really helpful to to support embodiment things that can move you away from embodiment are things like dieting over exercising not resting enough so and I'm not this is not not me saying that she shouldn't diet by any means but it's just be mindful of if you're someone if she is still dieting can you support embodiment in other ways and embodiment is closely linked to body image as well okay Annie's questions okay question one Wondering how best to support clients whose kids' comments really impact them. A client of mine finds it very emotionally challenging and pressuring because she has older teen kids always commenting on what she's doing. So if she chooses to eat something indulgent, they will judge her and shame her. And if she opts not to have something, they'll say, you're being restrictive and why do you care about your weight, etc. But she finds it tricky as she feels she can't reason with them. Oh. No. It's hard. Yeah. It, we we say this with the experience of working with lots of parents but not the lived experience of being parents obviously if it were me or say my sister-in-law or one of my clients I would probably say like as much as it's cliche like boundaries set the boundary it's benefiting your children to set that boundary and say like it's totally okay that you care about my health, but it's not okay for you to comment on my food choices. We think and explain like we don't do this because it can lead to feelings of like discomfort or shame, and that's not a feeling that anyone wants to feel. So we're not going to comment on that anymore. Like it's the same if even if it was on the other she was on the other foot, right? Parents comment on, on kids' food choices that we see more often. Mm. 
Yeah, I sometimes just think pointing it out that it's really judgmental is like embarrassing for people enough. I'm just trying to think in the context of like, if I commented on something my mum was eating, how she would respond in like, she'd probably just- Shaming. Huh? Shaming. Yeah, yeah. Like she would shame me for commenting on her food, which I think actually kind of weirdly works because they're trying to shame you. But I think sometimes pointing out that that's like a really judgmental thing, or even when- I don't know someone's like bitching about someone else and you're like oh that's like I don't know like you like you wouldn't want to speak about someone like that instead of because it's quite hard to be like oh I don't know if we should speak about people like that behind their backs like that kind of is like a bit more formal or like I would like to set these boundaries with you they might be like fuck off mum like they're teenagers right like are they I mean they might be very aware but they might they also might not respond to that whereas if you kind of point out like that's mean and it's really judgmental and then just like I think my mom would just be like very judgmental I'll remember that or like I'll remember that next time you're having an ice cream yeah and so then true. Like, oh shit yeah like I do eat ice cream or like oh yeah would I want someone commenting on me like you'd kind of just turn it around a little bit now that's certainly not like a I don't know it's just like an off the cuff kind of response but I actually think it's usually quite effective yeah, it's like, do you want to take the Glenn and Doyle approach or do you want to take the... <laughs> Professor's story. <laughs> yeah, the ESG's mum's approach. But, it is, but, no, but it's totally true. Like, and this person will know their kids and know the environment that they, that they have and they've created and what is the right thing, for sure. Um, so you're welcome for that. Very evidence-based, in-depth answer to your question, Annie. That's our opinion. Well, the research states... <laughs> After some guidance on how to help a client who tends to go quote unquote wild when she finally gets alone time and struggles with rituals around very large amounts of delicious foods that she has when she's alone and basking in that alone time. What a visual. I love basking in alone time with the pizza. Like I bask. I like that vibe. Um, I also feel that there may be some shame eating when she's alone of foods, quantities of foods that she's too embarrassed to eat in front of others. Wait, what was the question? How to deal with that? Just some guidance on how to help this client, yeah. Mm. I think it's, I mean, like, I, I know that Annie will have done all the basics, but, like, make, things like making sure that she's not, like, not eating during the day and then getting home and, like, being like, oh, all I want to do is just pig out on loads of food. Because, actually, when you, sometimes that just becomes a bit of a habit. And then you associate whenever I'm alone for the evening, I overeat. And that's what I enjoy doing when actually it could be the fact that you're alone in the evening and you've got freedom. That's the element that you're enjoying. Like even I read this somewhere recently and I didn't like fully agree with it, but it was someone basically, and it was probably quite clickbait, but it was like people who say that they love food. It's like, it's a good question to ask yourself, like, do you really love food or do you love, and then I actually completely changed this because this wasn't the way it was written and I wouldn't repeat the way it's written, but like, my question would be like do or do you love like going out for meals because it's social and you enjoy like spending time with other people or being cooked for or like not doing the dishes or you know like is it actually the food or is the food like 20 percent of the joy that you get from going out for a meal and you might think that you're a foodie and that you love going to all these amazing restaurants but it's like but would you do that on Deliveroo or is it actually the fact that you're meeting up with your friends and you're going for a walk after and you're all having a laugh and nobody's having to get up and do the dishes or, you know, like, actually, is it the environment that you love? 
and that's the element because I work with a lot of people who are like yeah but I'm a total foodie and blah 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 and like, actually when we get them to test out you know like eating half the amount that they would normally eat when they go out for food or like three quarters of the amount or whatever's appropriate I'm like did you enjoy it just as much and like yeah you know like I because I, I enjoyed the experience of it so that is that relevant to that question now I can't really remember <laughs> I think yeah I think it was a good answer in my opinion anyway um I don't know I totally agree I think other things around the fact that she, you feel like you, your intuition is probably right Annie because you're a great coach in terms of you feel like there's probably a bit of sh- like shame and kind of secret eating around that so looking at maybe why that is is it a good food bad food thing is it some sort of identity that she's trying to withhold in the sense of a classic example of this would be you know someone who's very lean day-to-day and their identity is being like that lean one of their friends and so that they don't want to be seen overeating or eating something different because it challenges their role within their dynamic of their social dynamic of who they are is it something like that is it right of like you're the overweight one so then you feel embarrassed to be eating in front of people because they're like oh they must think that I eat lots so then you don't eat anything or you don't eat very much Mm -hmm. and private you eat a lot absolutely that and that happens so often right Mm. and then obviously like the the good food bad food mentality like check in on that anyway the other things are things like is it because she struggles with rest and this is something we've talked about before like is it actually that she's eating all this like eating prolonged eating at night not because of the quantities of food but actually because she struggles to not eat because then she's not doing something and if she's not doing something does she feel guilty for not being productive um or is it that it does bring her joy because we do get that dopamine hit from food but actually she doesn't have joy elsewhere these are all the things that I'm sure Annie you've thought about but just refresher of like sometimes we come for eat because we're not getting joy from somewhere else or sometimes we come for eat because we associate the removal of pain through eating as joy because we've done it for so long and that actually feels like joy but really all she's doing is numbing the feet the pain that she felt in the first place these are all obviously I'm not saying that these are definite things but what exactly and that's, like I'm just here to bring the, the depth right but like obviously that might be true for someone and it definitely like, might not be sometimes it can be useful to do like a pattern interrupt so holidays are great for this right because it's like well every Saturday night I eat a pizza say for example and then you go on holiday for two weeks and you're like oh I didn't have it and I still had a great time and it's like okay I don't actually have to it's just the ritual that I've built up so I'm not saying send her on holiday but can she try for one week having a pattern interrupt because then also you'll start to see like is it a conscious choice or is it like oh I couldn't do it I really felt like I needed it then that's like okay that's a bit of an insight into maybe which direction you would want to go with it yeah I think that and it kind of comes like it's kind of curating your environment a little bit as well isn't it or even just changing your routine sometimes a changing routine will completely change your eating habits of like okay well let's stop training in the in the or like let's stop training in the morning and start training in the afternoon or in the evening and then actually you're not sitting around all evening with nothing to do and and even that it's like wow you and that has nothing to do with food really it's just the way that you're spending your time so yeah that's that's an interesting one okay third question weird great can you wait um say you've got a fat loss client who hasn't shown progress in scales measurements etc but of course we're celebrating wins outside of that which is fab but they're not bringing up the lack of fat loss progress and that's an important goal for them how would you raise this without making it seem like it's only fat loss you care about 
Great question. Is it definitely their goal if they're not bringing it up? Like, are they actually upset that they're not losing fat? And then the consideration as well is like, do they need to lose fat for health? Because I I know I don't know. Like when I have clients in a similar position, like if if they're not bringing up the fact that they're not losing fat and they don't seem particularly concerned about it, and you could even kind of scoot around the question a little bit of like, how are you feeling in your body at the moment? How do you feel performance? Like you know. And they might be like, yeah, well, how do you feel your progress is at the moment? Like, these are amazing non-scale weight victories or look at all these things you've achieved. How do you feel things are going? And then they'll probably say, yes, like, you know, if they care about fat loss still, yeah, I'm so happy with all that, but I'm still annoyed that the scales haven't gone down. And then yeah. you might write, okay, well, well, that's the only piece that's missing now because you're nailing all this other stuff, which is awesome. So what do we need to look at for your diet? And then it's kind of, they've told you that's what they want. Because I think what you don't want and exactly what Annie said, how do you ask that question without being like, yeah, but you've not lost fat. And then like making too much of it about fat loss is let them kind of talk about their own progress, what they think is going well, what maybe isn't going so well. And then from there, you can make any changes if, if they want to do that. And a lot of the time, I think people come to PTs with fat loss goals because they feel like they should have fat loss goals. And they don't really care about it that much, but it's like, an easy initial goal or maybe some people and I doubt this with Annie because she's very good at what she does but they might think that if they went to a coach without a body competition goal that they're like you know they're like oh, I just want to feel good the coach might be like oh weird what about fat loss <laughs> have you ever thought about fat loss instead um and that's not from like that, you know, if, obviously if you're an EIQ coach, that's never going to be you, but it could be the perception that someone has of generically personal trainers or coaches. Mm, totally agree. I think I would do the same, to be honest. I think it sort of depends on the relationship that you have with the client too, because you could just say something, okay, let's, we're three months in now. So I'd love to review your goals that you set at the start. Um, these were the, like, this is your sign up form or these are the goals that you suggest like that you mentioned where do you feel that you're at with them like are there any, anyone I love to you could say something like I love to review and refresh goals sack ones that we don't want focus more on the ones that we do want and yeah, but not three now what are your next goals but that's exactly the conversation I had to be honest I was softening it a little bit for you but then on other occasions I have said to clients in the past that I've known really well I know that you mentioned that you wanted fat loss um there's zero pressure for me because you're doing amazingly and like you're making you're making great progress. I just want to just check in with that. If that's still a priority for you, let me know so I can make sure that you achieve it because you want it. But if it's not, let's just like let's park it. And now and I, so I have said that too. It depends on the relationship with the client and the client's personality type as well. I think. Yeah, and it's much easier once you've been working with someone a while because you can sort of gauge the approach. Like whatever one of those approaches is most relevant to you yeah absolutely okay thanks everyone for your questions they were great excellent questions thanks guys